Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the lead pastor here. We want to welcome all of you in the name of Jesus uh, to worship, and you've been worshiping already, but if you're here for the first time, I want to tell you that our church was designed, and, and Nancy, my wife, and I are the ones who planted the church here uh, almost 15 years ago now, designed to reach people who ordinarily didn't go to church so that they could come to know Jesus. And uh, last night we had baptisms, and there was a family that came all the way from Clarion to be there for one of the guys that was getting baptized. And there was a, a cousin who was in seventh grade, her name's Brooke, and she was looking at the Welcome Center, and she goes, why would somebody need earplugs at your church? And I said, well, that's because the music is sort of loud, and some people don't like it sort of loud, so if they put these earplugs in their ear, then it sounds sort of normal. She goes, oh. Now, I don't need earplugs since I grew up on Alice Cooper and Led Zeppelin, because I don't have any ears left that, that need plugs. But, you know, the bottom line is, if you already know Jesus, then you could put earplugs in your ears if the music is too loud. But if you don't know Jesus, you probably at least like the, the beat of the music, um, because it's sort of normal from what you would get out in, the, in our culture. And that's the intentional uh, way that we do worship here. It's called indigenous, which means the language, the, the, the dress. Uh, sorry, I'm a little overdressed today, actually. I just wanted to look good today. But anyway, um, the, the, the technology and the music of the culture. But the words, I was thinking about this. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and we're singing, worthy is the Lamb, what's that mean? The lamb is an uh, expression in scripture. A lamb was uh, perfect, bl- uh, blemishless lambs were sacrificed for sin. Uh, in the Old Testament. But when Jesus came, he was, is the Lamb of God, and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. And the king we talk about is Jesus, and so we use some language that's um, very, very specific to the faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today, and, and you don't yet know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, first of all, we're really glad you're here because this church was designed for you. Um, but we also want you to know that we're not going to fail to use words that uh, are from Scripture. And in fact, the, the, a lot of the words from our songs that we sing are right from Scripture. Um, you know, the, uh, all things work together for good or for my good. That's Romans 8, 28. Um, so I hope that you realize, if you, if you are a believer, I hope you realize when we sing, A, we're singing to God. And B, that the words we're singing have a very significant and powerful meaning. Uh, and that's why we sing them. Uh, And that's really what, I I mean, there is no such thing as Christian music. I hope you know that. There's only Christian lyrics. There's just music. And then you put the words to it, and that determines what kind of music it is. So uh, we do Christian music here because the lyrics are Christian. And we do that because we want to glorify God, and we want to reach people. In fact, our mission is to share the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. And I hope that little girl who came in and, you know, listened to the loud music, if she didn't yet know Jesus, I hope that the... The, the words conveyed in the vessel of music that she was used to uh, would touch her heart. And, and that's what we seek to do every single week here at New Life during our worship time. So let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much for your goodness and love. And today as we talk about generosity again, we pray that you would give us your heart, a generous heart. We pray, God, that your spirit would open our hearts to hear the one thing that we need to take out and live this week which will bring you glory and honor in our lives. And I pray especially for those who are here who may not yet know you as Savior and Lord God, that today, that this would be the day they come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
So I'm going to ask you a question, and I don't want you to raise your hand, but I do want you to take the question seriously. In fact, so seriously, I'm going to put it up, I'll have Steve put it up on the screen. Here's the question. If I told you that for the next five weekends here at New Life, during the message, I will be giving out the, this week's winning Powerball numbers, guaranteed, how many of you would clear your calendars and be here for the next five weekends? Don't raise your hand. Okay, I am not going to be giving out the winning Powerball numbers for the next five weekends. But the reason I ask that is because money is a very significant motivator and driver in this culture. And a couple weeks ago, you know, when the, when the Powerball got over a billion dollars with a B, people were really excited. They were buying tickets at the rate of $180 million an hour for a while um, while they were because... You know, they wanted to have that money which would make their lives so much better. In fact, I've had people tell me over the years, you know, when I win the Powerball, when I win this lottery, I'm going to build the next building here at New Life. I'm going I'm to plant so many churches in Cuba, you won't even believe it. I'm going to do all this ministry. And, and the thing is, it's nice to dream and say, well, if I had a billion dollars with a B, this is what I would do with it. I would be so generous. But the thing is, we're not going to talk today about what we were going to do when we win the Powerball, because I can't win the Powerball since I never play. I don't think lotteries are a good thing for Christians to do. So I can't win the Powerball, and maybe you can't win the Powerball. So what we're going to talk about today is what do we do with the money we actually have? You know, the money that we actually earn or somebody gives to us that we actually have, what are we going to do with that? Because this Generosity Factor series... Uh, comes from a book, uh, the title of it comes from a book called The Generosity Factor by Ken Blanchard and Estuit Cathy. And basically, what we've been doing for the last couple weeks is we've been talking about how do we use our time to glorify God and be generous? How do we use our talents to glorify God and be generous? And today we're going to talk about treasure or money, and then next week I'll close out the series with a talk on how do we use touch in a way that's meaningful and purposeful. But today, as I said, we're going to talk about money, treasure. We usually call it money. We don't usually call it treasure. Um, but money, how do we use that to glorify God and be generous with what we do have, not with what we might someday have? And, and so what we're going to do right now is we're going to look at a scripture that Jesus, um, the, the Lord and Savior of our lives, said about money or treasure. To, actually, he's talking about treasure and money. 2,000 years ago, this is what he said. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Well, it doesn't get any clearer than that, does it? What Jesus first says is we shouldn't be storing up treasure or money here on earth because people can steal it and it, you know, it fades away and it, it just, it's easy to lose. But what we should do is store our treasure up in heaven so that nothing can get to it. And we'll talk more about what does it mean to store money, uh, treasure or money in heaven a little bit later. But, but that's the first thing he says. And the second thing he says is the chief rival God in our lives. If there's going to be something that's going to rival Jesus for first place in our lives, it's most likely going to be money. And he says this, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. He doesn't say it's hard to serve God and money. He, he doesn't say it's going to be a challenge to serve God and money. What he says is you can't do it. It's just impossible. Now, what Jesus was not saying is that we don't need money. What he was saying is money needs to be our servant, not our master. Because money is a great servant and a terrible master. So that's what we're going to talk about today, and this fits in completely with what, uh, with what Ken Blanchard and Truett Cathy said in their book, The Generosity Factor, about the 
what is the generosity factor. It's five principles, and those principles are in an acronym called HEART. It's interesting that Jesus said where our treasure is, that's where our heart's going to go, whether it's in heaven or whether here on earth. And, and Truett, Kathy, and, and Ken Blanchard came up with this acronym HEART to show what is, what is it that is going to grasp our attention in life. And we're going to talk about HEART today in terms of treasure or money. And so the, the HEART acronym stands for He Owns It All. That is, God owns everything. He made us, so He owns us. And he owns everything we have because he's given us every good and perfect gift. And then E stands for every day is an opportunity. A, action is required. R, remember to count your blessings. And T, thank him. So we're going to look at each of those letters and what they stand for in terms of how we can be generous. How we can glorify God with our money in each of these areas. So if we're serious about devoting ourselves to Jesus, we must remember that first of all, he does own it all. He owns everything we have, and all that frenzy about the Powerball a couple weeks ago, you know, it, it was interesting because my brother Tom, he, he does play the Powerball when it gets up to like, I don't know, 500 million or more. And, and so he called me and he says, you know, I don't know what to do with all my money when I win. I said, well, you could give me 10 million. And, and, and I said, not for me, but for the church because we could build some buildings with 10 million. We could build some buildings in Cuba and all that with 10 million. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 10 million uh, for your church and 1 million for you. And I said, I'll hold you to it when you win. Okay, so I'm not holding my breath, but, you know, that's the thing is, here's what people think. People think if we had a little bit more money or a lot more money, we'd be what? We'd be satisfied. But here's the truth, and you can write this down and remember it for the rest of your life. This changed my life when I was in my 20s. Somebody told me this. Money is not a satisfier. Money is a dissatisfier. Money is a dissatisfier. If you don't have enough money, you will be dissatisfied. I mean, if we don't have enough money to buy food, we'll be dissatisfied. If we don't have enough money to, to, to pay rent or have a house, we'll be dissatisfied. But money, there's not enough money in all the world to satisfy us because satisfaction doesn't come from money. It comes from things money cannot buy. And that's what Jesus was saying so long ago. He, he's saying, you know, the, the, the thing that you, you think is going to bring you joy, it isn't going to bring you joy because money can't do that. What brings you joy is a relationship with me. And so that's the first thing. We understand that he owns it all. And when we understand that, it's easy to be generous. I mean, after all, I, I used to like to give away my brother's stuff. <laughs> it's not mine. Okay, it's easy to give away God's stuff when we consider that it's all God's. You know, you can hold loosely when it's not yours. The next thing is, every day is an opportunity. You see, once we recognize that God owns it all, we can be generous, and we need to be looking around every single day. How can I be generous today? And that's going to start at home. How, I might have a family member or a friend who's in struggling and trouble financially, and so I can help them. If I have some money, I can help them, right? Or, or I, can, you know, I can be generous by... Um, Coming to worship and giving a tithe or an offering. I can buy a church in Cuba. We'll talk about that during the offering today. I could support a missionary. Or here's the thing. You could buy clothes for yourself or your children, but you could look for the bargain. I never, ever buy something full price. In fact, one of the nicest summer shirts I had, I bought it at Kmart last year for 8 bucks. And I came in and everybody goes, oh, you look nice. Yeah, I did look pretty nice. 8 bucks at Kmart. Okay, I know some of the Kmarts are going to close, so you might have to find someplace else. But... But the point is, when we save that money, what can we do with it? We can be generous in helping somebody else. So those are all the ways, and that's only a handful of ways, that we could see that every day is an opportunity. Then action is required. You know the great thing about what you're going to do with the Powerball money when you win it? You don't have to do anything today. There's no action required with what might happen someday. There's, there's no action at all required. 
But the thing is, when you start to realize, ooh, I'm a steward, I'm a manager of what I have today, then it takes planning. And here's the thing. Remember a couple weeks ago when I said if we want to be generous with our time, we have to plan our time because there are those who get 10 times more done in the same amount of time as we might because they plan it. The same is true when it comes to money. And here's a little secret. For those of you who are like me who hate the word budget, I mean, I thought budget was a four-letter word until I spelled it out, and it's not, you know, but budget. So I came up with an alternative. Well, somebody else did, and, and I just, I stuck with it. It's called a spending plan. I like to spend. You know, a spending plan, though, but I spend first to God. I give him his first, and then I spend to myself second. Pay yourself first. You, you ever heard that? Well, actually, you pay yourself second. Pay God first. Pay yourself second. And then you give away or spend whatever is left. And here's a formula. Joseph Sangle came up with this formula. Those of you who did the I was broke, now I'm not um, small groups a couple years ago, you remember this formula, I hope. Income minus outflow equals exactly zero. Or I minus O equals EZ. It's a great formula. What it says is whatever income we have, then we subtract the outflow. Whatever we do with it, and that number has to equal zero. All right? Pretty simple, isn't it? And, and here's the thing. Nancy and I were not always intentional about budgeting. And, and once we got intentional about budgeting, the first thing we did was for one month, we kept track of every penny that came in and every penny that went out. And you know what we found out? Our money had been leaking all over the place. I mean, it was like a ship with 100 holes in it because we just didn't realize how much money was going out because we hadn't taken care of thinking about planning for it. So if you want to be generous with time or talents, really, or, or treasure or touch, you have to have a plan. And, and that's really a very important reality because most people say, well, you know, I don't even make enough money that I have to have a budget. Well, if you don't have any money that you think you don't need to have a budget, that's when you really need to have a budget. And the thing is, I have people that say to me, well, you know, I, it takes everything I have just to, to get by. I don't have enough to be generous. And the truth is, for some few people, that might be true. But for most of us, what the truth is, we have enough to, to give and be generous. But we have just spent on things that we didn't need because somebody told us we had to have it on a commercial because it would make our life <laughs> happy. Our life won't be happy by what we have. Our life will be happy by, by who we have in us. And that's the thing that, the, I mean, boo, if we all knew that, then we would have, usually, if we had an average job in this culture, we would have enough. And so the key is to have a plan. And actually, there's a book out there in uh, you know, the, the bookstore. It's called The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. And I don't like everything about Dave Ramsey, especially how much he screams. But he has biblical principles biblical principles that will help you have a plan and so if you don't have a plan get somebody else to help you joseph sangleman he really screams it seems like all these people who help you with your money scream at you but anyway you know joseph sangle i was broke now i'm not that's a great book and a great program and so is the you know the financial peace university there's the the crown financial ministries originally larry burkett there's so many things out there but here's the thing we have to use one of them and when we do, we are going to be able to be so much more generous. Then, the next one is remember to count your blessings. Here's the one I love. Remember to count your blessings. Because, you know, my dad grew up in the Depression. And he would always say when I would do something, you know, like leave some mashed potatoes on my plate. He'd say, what you waste, you'll want. And, and you know, that didn't make a lot of sense to me. What I waste, I want. No, I'll have it again tomorrow because mom will make more mashed potatoes. You see? But my dad meant 
when I didn't eat my mashed potatoes, I didn't have any more mashed potatoes. And there weren't going to be any more mashed potatoes. So you don't waste the stuff that God provides for you. He grew up in that mentality, right? And I've been to countries, many countries now, where they don't have enough food to eat. They don't have clean water. They don't have warm showers. So almost every time I jump into the shower and I turn it on, the water's hot, which is every day pretty much. I just remember that's a blessing. I brush my teeth and I can put the toothbrush under the water, you know, to rinse it off and I'm not going to get sick. That's a blessing. I don't know if you realize that. I can't do that almost everywhere I go because, you know, when I take my vacations, they're not vacations, they're mission trips and I go to places that don't have clean water. And every time I open up my refrigerator, first thing I go is, I have a refrigerator. You know, I mean, you probably don't do that, right? But I, and I open up, I say, whoa, I have choices. They don't have that in Cuba. They don't have that in Cambodia. They don't have that, you know, in Haiti. And a lot of places in the world don't have that. And so if we want to count our blessings, the first thing we need to realize is we're blessed. You see, God is a God of blessing. And in fact, when God established the people of Israel as his people, he started with a guy named Abraham. And what he said to Abraham is, look, if you will follow me, I'm going to bless you. And you are going to be a blessing to all the nations in the world. So we have a heritage as followers of Jesus of being blessed by a blessing God so we can bless others. And then the last thing is thank him. And blessing and thanking goes hand in hand. When we realize we have blessings, we simply stop and say thank you because we recognize he owns it all. <laughs> and he gave so many blessings to us. So we say thank you. See how that all works together? Now, if you're here today and you're broke or you're worse than broke, in debt, then you're an average American. That's what the average American is, broke or worse than broke. And I'm not, I'm not beating up on you, I'm just telling you the fact. I've been broken worse than broke a lot of my life. And the, and the reality is, that's not what God wants for our lives. And in fact, today's take-home point, and for those of you who are guests, we have one point we seek to make every week, and here's this one. It's that God expects us to manage his treasure well. God expects us to manage his treasure, his money. Well, the money he entrusts to us, he wants us to do a good job of managing it, which would mean that we wouldn't be broke or worse than broke. That we would actually have, it says actually in the book of Proverbs, that in a, in a house of a faithful person, there are stores for tomorrow, you know, for, the, for the, the hard times, for the other times. So anyway, here's the thing. How do we know that God wants us to manage his treasure well? Well, he tells us that more than 2,000 times in his book. More than 2,000 verses dedicated to treasure or money. In this book. How do we know it? Because he said not to store up our treasure here, but to store up our treasure in heaven. By the way, the treasure of heaven, it's people. People are the treasure of heaven. It's the only thing that we can take with us is somebody who doesn't know Jesus comes to know Jesus. Well, then they're going to go to heaven. That's the treasure of heaven. Not, there's no need to take money and stuff to heaven because it's all perfect there. And the streets are paved with gold, right? So you take a suitcase full of gold up to heaven. They go, well, why'd you bring pavement? You know, I mean, come on. Wake up. So anyway... The bottom line is, Jesus said, you know, treasure of heaven is people, so store up, use your money here to bring up people to heaven. Then he said, you can't serve both God and money. And then he's going to tell us a parable. And it's a weird thing, because when I was growing up, this parable was actually called the parable of the talents. Anybody ever heard of the parable of the talents? The parable of the talents isn't about talents. It's about money. You see, in Jesus' day, a talent was 75 pounds of anything. That's, it was a measure of weight. A talent was 75 pounds, in this case, silver. 75 pounds of silver. So the New Living Translation, which is what we usually use to read from here at New Life, it says bags of silver. Because if I said 75 talents, you're going, what is that? It's, it's not 
It's not the spiritual gifts and abilities that God gives us, as Pastor Brad talked about last week. That's what a talent is from a, from a stand, biblical standpoint. But we're talking about money. And so there, there's a parable, and Jesus tells us this parable to tell us what the kingdom of heaven is like. And the focus in this parable is how we manage money. So here you go. If, if you have your Bible, it's Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. And if you don't, it'll be up on the screen. But it says in verse 14, again, Jesus is talking. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Now, the man is Jesus. Jesus went on a long trip. He died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and he went back to heaven. And so he went on a long trip. The servants, although there are only three that are going to be numbered in this parable, it's all of us. We're all in this parable. We're all servants of the living God. And so he left us in charge when he left. Okay, so then it says, he gave five bags of silver to one of his servants, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities, and then he left on their trip. Now, Jesus didn't divide up the money equally among his servants, and some people are really upset about that. I talk to people, and they say, you know, Jesus should have given everybody the same amount, right? Wrong. Jesus is Jesus. He's God. He's the master. He knows who we are, and he knows our abilities. He knows our real talents, which means the spiritual gifts he's given us and the, 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 um, the manual labor skills or whatever kind of skills or financial skills we have. And so he entrusts us different amounts based on our ability. But here's the thing. I have seen people who started out as a one bag of silver person, and through study and effort and prayer, they've become ten bag of silver people. You see what I'm saying? But what we are is what we are. God decides what we are, and then we can learn and grow and change. But there was a five, a two, and a one-bag person. And Jesus wasn't saying the guy with the five bags is better than the guy with two and better than the guy with one. What he was saying is you're all different. I'm going to treat you special. And so we're trusted with different amounts. And the key thing is not to look around and say, why does that guy have more bags of money than me? The key thing is to say, what has God entrusted to me so that I can use it to his glory? And then says this, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. So both the five bag servant and the two bag servant, they took their money out and well, it wasn't their money, God's money, and they invested it, right? And they made double what they had. But the third guy, for some reason, he didn't do anything with the money. He dug a hole in the ground and just left it there. Notice he didn't waste the money. It wasn't like he had one bag, and when the master was going to come back, he'd have nothing. He was still going to have the one. Okay, keep that in mind. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Remember, this is a parable about what? The kingdom of heaven. So what it's saying is the master's coming back someday. Jesus is coming back. Could be today, could be tomorrow, could be next week, next month, next year. Or we're certainly going to go see him one day. And when that happens, he's going to call us to an accounting for what he's entrusted to us. And that's a very important thing because what is our take-home point today? It's, it's that God expects us to manage his treasure well. So when we have our accounting with Jesus, he's going to talk about the, the good deeds or the not-so-good deeds that we did. He's going to talk about how we managed the time that he gave us, the talents he gave us, the treasure he gave us, and the touches that we could or could not have used to glorify him in our lifetimes. Then it says this, the servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. 
The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. I just want to point out, five bags of silver is like $85,000. The small amount. To God, that is a small amount, right? All right, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. I'll be honest. I like the older translations here where it says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master's kingdom. But the point is, the servant was faithful with his master's stuff. It wasn't his stuff because he knew that God owns it all, right? The master owned it all. But he took the five bags of silver and he made five more bags of silver for his master. And the master was filled with praise for the, for the servant's faithfulness. And that's such a key thing for us to remember. God blesses and praises faithfulness. And he actually says we get to have more responsibility if we do what God, you know, use what we have to glorify God. And I love that. I really love that thing about the more responsibility. Because when I was a little kid, all the preachers used to say when you go to heaven, you like sit on a cloud and you play a harp. And I'm not really that big about clouds and I really don't like harps that much. Okay. But then I read this parable and it says this is like the kingdom of heaven. And if you do good with what you have, God will give you more responsibility there. I'm like, yeah. Aren't you? I mean, don't you want to have more responsibility when you go to heaven? Anyway, if you don't, I guess you can play the harp on the cloud because you'll have that gift, right? I hope he doesn't give me that gift in heaven. Anyway, okay. Um, the next thing is the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. So do you notice that the second servant got exactly the same reward as the first servant? The first servant had five bags, made it to ten. The second servant only had two bags, only made it to four. I mean, they're ten, four. There's a lot more. Ten is a lot more than four, right? Especially if we're talking about 75 pounds of silver. But the master didn't concern himself with the how much. What he concerned himself was how faithful. You see, we don't have to be faithful with the money we're going to win from the Powerball someday. We have to be faithful with the money we have right now. And that's what, that's what you know, the parable Jesus is telling us. When, when I come back and I, I have my little time with you where we talk about what you did with your life, I'm not going to ask you what you would have done if you would have won $1.6 billion. I'm going to ask you what you did do with the $27 or the $270 or the $2,727,000. I don't know how many zeros. Because the zeros don't matter. What matters is the faithfulness. And then the last thing. It says, then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. Let me ask you a question. Did all three servants have the same master, yes or no? Yes. But the first two servants saw their master as loving, generous, kind, worthy of their diligent effort. The third somehow saw their master as harsh and greedy. How did that happen? Well, I know how it happened because I, I know people who think that God is harsh and greedy. I know people that think that God, you know, sort of stands up in heaven with a fly water waiting for us to have just an eensy bit of fun. And then he's going to go, no. But what we're told is that that's not how God is at all. God is a blessing God. But we have to see that in order to receive the blessing. And, and the thing is, God calls this. I mean, God's hard on this guy. 
He says, you wicked and lazy servant. He came back with the same bag of silver that he started with. He didn't lose a penny. He had it all. So why is he wicked and lazy? Because God created us in his image. And God is creative. God is industrious. God is diligent among a hundred other things. And this guy was none of those things. And so what does God do? Or the master, what does the master do? He takes the bag from that guy who has one and he gives it to the guy that already has ten. And we say, why? And Jesus actually answers the question, to those who use well what they're given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what they, little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, if we use what God has entrusted to us well, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little, one day God is going to bless us and give us more responsibility in heaven. And actually, here on earth, what I've experienced is he's going to give you more. He's going to entrust more to you because you're faithful with what you've been given. On the other hand, if God gives us whatever he gives us and we are unfaithful, which means we do nothing with it or less than nothing with it, then he's going to, this is hard, but he's going to cast us into outer darkness. You see, everybody wants to just say, well, Jesus saved me on the cross and so I'm saved and now I can do whatever I want and everything's going to be good. And Jesus did save us on the cross. And we are going to go to heaven when we die because of that. But this parable makes it very clear that while we're here, we're not supposed to just sit and wait. We're supposed to be faithful to a faithful God who's a blessing God, who's, who's abundantly giving and generous. And what we do with our lives is we reflect that abundantly giving and generous nature of God more and more as we mature. It doesn't start out that way. Nobody starts out being totally generous. Nobody ever, actually that I've met ends up being totally generous. But we, we, we grow step by step by step in that regard. And, and the thing is, this passage of Scripture has been used by some to say, see, all you have to do is find the right formula for your life and you can be blessed and you can have everything that you want. You have all the abundance of, of heaven. That's not what this says. It says if you're faithful with some, God will give you more. If you're unfaithful with some, God will take it away. If you waste what God gave you, then you won't have anything. That's common sense. But the scripture backs up the common sense here and says not only will it be taken away, but eventually you'll be in outer darkness where it says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. At the start of this message today, I ask you, if I were going to give out the winning Powerball numbers for the next five weekends, would you show up? Would you clear your calendar and show up? Well, we offer something much, much, much more important than winning Powerball numbers here every week. We offer the truth of the living God of the universe in the love of God so that our lives can be transformed. So that if we do not know Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we can come to know him. Savior means saved from sin and death. Lord means owner of what we are. So that we can understand that heart acronym and start to live it out in our lives. And if we already know that, Jesus as our Savior and Lord, that we can take another step and another step and another step. So that day by day, month by month, year by year, we grow more and more like Jesus. More and more generous with our lives. And the reality is... You wouldn't miss a doctor's appointment if it were on your calendar. You wouldn't miss an appointment with your boss if it were on your calendar. I don't understand why everybody doesn't have weekend worship on their calendar as a non-negotiable. Because Jesus is our doctor. <laughs> Jesus is our boss. He's our master. And so when we start to prioritize, when it comes to time, God has to come first. When it comes to talents, we have to use our talents in a way that will glorify God. And that doesn't mean you're going to have to work in the church full time. I glorified God when I was a carpenter. 
And I felt every day I glorified God by doing that work to the best of my ability, giving it my best effort. And they actually had to stop me at the end of the day because I wanted to keep working. I really did. I loved doing that work because I could see we're building a house, we're putting a roof on, we're doing whatever it was we were doing. At the end of the day, we were farther along than we were at the beginning of the day. And, you know, Paul the Apostle said, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, not unto men, because he's going to reward you. And that's the truth. I mean, it's really what this parable is all about, that our lives are important. They matter eternally. And what God has done in our lives is so generous. He's died on the cross so that we can have a new life, a life that lasts now and forever, a life that is transformed here and now. And then we get to go and experience the treasure that we've stored up. I mean, someday we're going to walk the streets of heaven and somebody's going to go, thank you for planting that church in my town. I'm here because of you. Do you understand that? I mean, when I wake up in the morning, one of the things I do when I wake up in the morning is I, I realize I don't belong to me. I belong to Jesus. And most days I say, Jesus, thank you for a new day. I mean, I always say that. Thank you for a new day. Use me how you want to. And when we have that attitude that we're servants of the living God, stewards of the living God, managers of the, for, for the living God, it makes all the difference in the world. I'm so grateful for that opportunity to use my time and talents and treasure and touch to advance the kingdom. And I know you are. If you're a follower of Jesus, that is something so important because in your daily life, you can reach that one person, whether it's somebody in your family that doesn't yet know Jesus or somebody that's struggling. I, I mean, John was a, a, you know, a really practical guy. In 1 John, he says, if you see somebody that's hungry or needs clothing, and you say, be warmed and filled, go in peace. God bless you. What good did that do? Buy him a coat, right? Give him a meal. Th that's how simple it can be sometimes to be a faithful steward of the living God. So here's today's commitment. I will invest money wisely this week, seeking a return for God's kingdom. I will invest money wisely this week, seeking a return for God's kingdom. I don't know what that's going to look like for you, but I know what it will look like in eternity. There will be someone who doesn't know Jesus who will know Jesus. You, when you meet Jesus face to face, he's going to say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master's kingdom. I have said for years that my job as your pastor is to make sure the day you meet Jesus, the best day of your eternity. And I'm doing everything I can for that to be true. For the day you meet Jesus to be the best day of your eternity. Because I want the day I meet Jesus to be the best day of my eternity too. And as we live as faithful stewards day by day by day, we're making that meeting better or worse. So this week, let's invest everything, time, talents, treasure, touch, but especially our money to advance God's kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for your faithfulness to us your generosity to us, for the love that caused you to die so we can live now and forever. God, I pray for anyone in the room who came in today, not even maybe sure there is a God. I pray that right now that person will know that you love them with an everlasting love and that your son Jesus died and rose again, went to heaven for them and has an offer of life eternal. And God, I pray in this instant that he or she would say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, my master, my owner. I don't want anything else to get in the way. I, I, I turn from my life of sin and I turn to you. And I ask God for those of us who know you already, that today we would commit ourselves, recommit ourselves to lives of generosity in every area of life so that your kingdom may grow, that, so that you may be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.